Okay, well, how are we going to get through it? What's the plan? What's the path around this problem? What's the path through the problem? Whatever it might be, you got to get back up. Keep pushing, keep pushing, keep chopping wood, as they say, right? <laughs> Hi, I'm Nils Vigna, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Craig Bloom. Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Craig. Looking forward to digging into all things leadership with you. But first, would love for you to share with me and our audience the role that you're in today and the company that you work for. With pleasure. <laughs> I am the VP of Customer Success at a company called Medaxo. We do M&A software, so companies who are in the M&A space can use our software to sort of track all the deals that they've got going. You know, some companies have 10, 20 deals happening at any given time, and we help them to keep track of all that, sort of like a CRM. And then once a deal becomes you know, real, like it's they're going to actually move forward with, with taking some action, then we help them track their diligence phases, which allows them to upload all the documents that need to come in and manage all the interviews and the tasks that need to happen during that very important diligence phase. And then we also allow them to track after diligence if the deal gets closed, the sort of post-merger integration phases, which is really important. I don't know if you've ever been part of a merger, which I have. It sometimes doesn't go so well if you don't plan it well. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think uh, they used your software at the time because it didn't go very well. <laughs> Same. You know, I went from a company that had been very in bad shape with that merger to this company. And I realized looking back, once I started getting into the software, saying to myself, wow, had we had this thing, you know, six months, a year ago, things might be different. Yeah, we're very excited. We are about to release sort of version two of the platform later this month. So that's a challenging time to both replatform a software system that's been in play for almost a decade because we've got dozens and hundreds of customers who have, you know, have been used to what they're used to and now they're going to have to move. And then we're also going to have to, you know, change all of our marketing and get used to this new platform. So we're really excited. I'm very bullish on the next year or so at Medaxo. It's really exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. I mean, Thinking about just the, you know, the focus area, right? You said it kind of function like a CRM, but then you're only dealing with M&A. And, and that is such a narrow field, but there are so many pieces to that puzzle. It's kind of mind-blowing thinking about all of them. And it's wonderful to hear that there are solutions. I didn't even know that it existed. Highly targeted towards people who do lots of M&A deals, and that's wonderful. What would you say is the most interesting thing on the post-diligence side that you, you know, mentioned that you came from a previous company where you wish you, that would have been in place? But what was an example of something that, had it been in place, could have prevented and could have had a, just a different outlook? Well, I think we could probably make a 100-part podcast just about that. But, uh... <laughs> Fair enough. 
you know, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, from, from my perspective is tooling, right? We didn't just merge two companies together. We merged five, right? And so there was not one instance of Salesforce, not two instances of Salesforce, not three, but five instances of Salesforce that we had to merge together into one big thing. And I didn't personally have, you know, I wasn't, you know, clicking the buttons and, and making the changes, but you can imagine, you know, five different companies, they've all got their own process. They're all different methods. They're all, you know, all the same, you know, sort of general ideas, but everyone does it a little differently. And then there's different people involved and there's different fields and different. So it was a nightmare, quite frankly, to be sort of, a user of that, right? Like I needed to be there. I need to be finding a contract that like, okay, company A has a contract with these guys, but company B has another contract with these guys that isn't due for another six weeks. You know, it's just, there was so much confusion and people just like, they had contracts on their hard drives. They had contracts inside box. They had contracts everywhere else. And so it was an absolute nightmare. And you can imagine just for two companies, but we did it with five so that was, for me, the biggest challenge. It was the different tools. And that's just Salesforce, right? Then we had one company had client success software. Another company had Gainsight. And so which one of those do you move forward with? And it's just all of those decisions that you don't think about. Like the private equity firms who are funding all this stuff, they don't think about that. They just say, go, and then in a year, give me my money back, right? The people who actually have to do the work, that's not easy. And there are long nights. So um, that was the biggest challenge. And I think had we planned it and had the checklists of things, here's the next order of things, it would have been much, much smoother. Yeah. Cool. Well, and glad you ended up joining a firm who is enabling the prevention of that for others in the future. So <laughs> you may not have him get me that job, I can be honest. <laughs> I will. Hey, that and that sometimes is the best way, right? I've had known many, many people who have become employees of the vendors and partners and customers that they were they were a customer too, right? And that's I think that's wonderful because one, everybody wants a little bit of experience and you coming into this organization, having had that firsthand experience means a lot. Plus your customer success background and expertise means a lot. So that's huge. Okay. So let's rewind the clock a little bit and tell us about how you got into your first leadership position. I, I started you know, out of college. I was a software engineer. You know, I was you know, head down, writing code all day long for, you know, various different startups. And I did that for, you know, 10 or 12 years. And then I just realized I didn't want to be a software engineer anymore. I didn't want to have to relearn that same, hey, here's a for loop, but different syntax. And, you know, that, you know, and it's, there's much more to it than that. All, no offense to all you software engineers out there. I just didn't want to do that my whole life. And I realized that I kind of had some interpersonal skills that I really wasn't using because I was writing code all day long and I wanted to try and get in front of customers and talk to them. I asked that company I was at, at the time to sort of let me be sort of a client services guy. So I was technical, but then talking to customers. And so that sort of morphed into while I was there, I got an MBA and then ended up at a company who very small company had four, four or five employees at the time and half a dozen customers that needed somebody to come help with the code, but also be, you know, in front of the customer base. And so they hired me to be sort of this manager of, you know, customer client services, some title like that, like from 15 years ago. It just grew from there, right? We we started with those six customers and then we, we grew. It, it was, you know, four or five years later that we hit the hundred customer mark and that I needed to start hiring a team and really start putting process around what we were doing. And so it just sort of evolved and became what now we know as customer success. We didn't call it that at the time, but you know, in about 2014, 2015, we had 200, 250 customers. We had a couple of 
we called them curation coaches. It was a company called Curata. We called them curation coaches. And we didn't, you know, and then we finally realized, wait a minute, we're doing customer success here. Let's change everything, call it customer success, make them CSMs and really standardize the process. And then I had been doing it the longest, I guess. I, you know, had the most experience. So that's how I sort of, it was a startup, right? And so oh, Craig's that guy, right? And so <laughs> Craig's that guy. What it was, right? And then a couple more years pass and we keep growing and it's, you know, 300, 350 customers and the team's now five or six CSMs and a support person. And they're all looking at me to, you know, give them what the best practices are, what how we're doing, you know, are we, so I was the sort of manager of that team. And it was at that point that I had like the VP title, but you know, I was managing five people and it was a company of 50. So is that VP? I guess, you know, it was, but that was the first leadership role and it's been a fun ride since then. Let's put it that way. That's, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. All right. I'm going to pick apart a couple of those things along that timeline. When you said you made the decision that you didn't want to be in the software engineering field anymore, was there a particular moment that you realize like, hmm, this isn't, this isn't really fulfilling me anymore, or I've hit the end of my limit here in this particular capacity. What, what was that moment that said, I got to make a big shift? Because that's a pretty big shift getting out of it from just writing code to then wanting to be customer facing. Yeah, there is a very specific moment. It was a year or two before the transition started to really get into my brain, but I realized you know, I was in a meeting with a like a lifetime software engineer guy. He was a few years older than me at the time. You know, I was in my late 20s and he was probably in his mid to late 50s, you know, sort of at the end of his career. And he had done all of that. And he was just, no offense to the guy, maybe it was just him, but he was just a curmudgeon, you know. He was a bitter old man that just hated his job, but he knew he needed to keep it and he wanted to keep, you know, he didn't care. He just knew that he needed a job and he had these skills and he was going to go do them every day, right? And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I'm not going to be that guy. I don't want to be this like just sad guy that never like, you know, and I don't know if he did that, right? I'm not judging him personally. I'm just saying that if I was, you know, 35 years later and looked back and said, man, I didn't try to go and do something that was more fulfilling to me because I was decent at writing code. It paid the bills. But I, you know, I wasn't ever going to be like a software architect. Like that path wasn't, that, that's not where I was, right? Like I, I went to college and I learned, I was a like hybrid business slash coding. So I took business classes, but I took a lot of programming classes too. You know, I chose the programming path out of college and I said, maybe that's not exactly where I want to go, right? But so it's been important for me to stay in software. You know, I've never left the software world. So that to me helps me as a, as a sort of customer success person because I can translate nerd world into customer world and vice versa. That's, I think, been helpful for me over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. That was the moment I just said, I'm not going to be that guy, you know. And so I did everything I could, I guess, to not be that guy. <laughs> That's fascinating. And I love that, you know, there there was a pivotal moment. And so many times there is. And, and when you're ready for it and when you're aware of it, it has a completely different impact. Sometimes these moments occur and you're oblivious to it. But you saw that at that point in time and it changed the trajectory of the rest of your career, which is awesome because then you got into something that was you were going to be engaged with and did want to do for a very long time. So that's absolutely wonderful. Um, and you and I share an awful lot of very similar trajectory and, and path and timing and CS and all that good stuff. So it's fun to hear your story too and line it up with some of the experiences I had because I dabbled, I will say dabbled very lightly and probably even in air quotes with being a software engineer and I lasted 
lasted for about, you know, six months before I realized I'd have no business here. This is, I'm definitely not cut out to do this work. And I, and I always sought out the combination, right? This, like you said, like having business skills, but also having technical skills. And it wasn't until the field of customer success actually existed. And I got into that role where it was like, oh, this makes sense. Bringing these worlds together is really important. There's a lot of value here. Hey, let's do more of this. So awesome. Awesome to know your background and we're cutting from the same cloth. Let's talk about navigating that team building situation. So you got into this company very early. You were the first hire on this client services team. And then slowly and steadily over several years, you the company grew, the customer base grew, and your team grew. So you went from, you know, not having been in a people leadership position before to now, you know, many years later being having a VP title and having five or six people reporting to you. Tell us a little bit about how you navigated that transition from you being the only one to do the work at the company to then having a team of people who worked for you doing the work alongside you. Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges there was like letting go, right? Because for so long, it was me. Like I was the only guy doing it. It was my process and I built it and this is how I'm going to do it. And it works, right? But I can't do it anymore. Like there's too much volume. There's too many cuts. I can't, right? So we had to make hires and finding the right people was a challenge for a while, right? Because we didn't know who we needed to hire. But then once we did, it was like, okay, no, I'm going to do this. You can hang back. Just wait. You know, And it took me a long time to like let go of that first sort of customer who isn't mine anymore. Like this, they, they belong to Derek over here, right? And so... You know, once I did that, then it was like trying not to like be over Derek's shoulder all day long, right? And making sure that he wasn't just doing it his way and he was doing it my way. And so it was a challenge for me personally to like let that go. And then it was sort of learning how to work collaboratively with him and learning the things that he was doing that maybe were better than the way I was doing it, right? And accepting that, okay, we can we can do this better than the way I thought we were doing it prior to that. And, you know, that's part of, in my mind, being a good leader is listening to the, the ideas that your team has and not throwing them away immediately just because you didn't have them. Right. So it took probably six months, eight months to really kind of come to the conclusion that that was a good thing for me. Right. And then, you know, as it, as we grew, it was sort of like, we're in this together, right? Like we're not here to, I'm not here to be someone's boss and to tell them what to do. I'm here to solve a problem that our company has, right? That took a little time to kind of understand. And then we, you know, the, the, the dynamic of a new person and is this person the same as this, this guy who we hired, right? His skill set might be different. Maybe he's a little more junior or maybe he's more senior and has, you know, is better at the job than either one of us ever was, right? So getting that interpersonal dynamic down, right? For someone who'd never done it before and who was literally just like, eh, okay, you know, trying to figure it out as it went along, that was the biggest challenge, I think. Obviously, the the day-to-day stuff is what it is. You know, everyone's got their own stuff, but like it's the interpersonal stuff to me that's really kind of, you know, if you find somebody you love, you got to try and clone that person, but you can't, you know? <laughs> yeah, as much as we would love to. So in that, in that discovery 
process of learning, you know, how to engage with these other people that you hired and how to work effectively with them. What were the, you know, things that helped you the most? Were there, you know, mentors and people that you modeled? Was it purely trial by fire? Like, was it just experimentation? How did you actually go about transitioning, you know, from a tactical perspective or really learning these things during that time, you know, transition from IC to VP? Yeah, it was a little bit tough because the company was young, right? We none of us knew what we were doing, right? And the the CEO was younger than I was. His background was straight out of grad school, started a company, right? So he didn't have he didn't cut his chops, you know, doing you know IC work, right? He was he went from being a grad student to a CEO, so that was a challenge for me because it was, you know. I was pushing him to do business stuff. It's an interesting dynamic, right? But so, you know, personally, I have a couple of mentors who I leaned on very heavily during that time, especially one of whom was the CEO of the company I was at when I made the transition from pure software engineer to client success, you know, type of of work. I would probably get lunch with him once a quarter and just stay in touch and bounce ideas off of him and... You know, he's a really smart guy. He's in venture capital now. And he just, uh, you know, I still, he lives one town over from me. So, you know, whenever I think of it and I need help, you know, he'll, he's open to having lunch. And so we still keep in touch to this day. So I definitely leaned on his, you know, hands-off leadership style when he was the CEO, but also firm hands-off leadership style, if you know what I mean. So tell me more about what does firm hands-off leadership style mean? Well, you know, okay, go get it done. Don't mess it up but I trust you that you're going to go get it done. You know what I mean? So like, I'm not going to hover and I'm not going to micromanage you, but if you don't get it done, the consequences are these, right? And, you know, I expect high, I expect a lot of good things out of you, right? And so it was sort of that, like, I don't want to mess up because I like this guy and I don't want to screw up, you know, that kind of thing. I don't want to make them look bad. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was an important company to me, like, you know, it was, and this might sound weird, but the the people who own the New England Patriots, I live in the New England area. So the people who own the New England Patriots funded that company. And so this guy's boss was the owner of the Patriots. And so he would come in and we'd see, we get to meet the guy. And it's like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. And I wanted that company to do as well as it possibly could, because, you know, it was cool to be associated with the Patriots and get the tickets and, you know, be that kind of a, you know, and, and we were doing cool, we're trying to solve a cool problem too. So that was also a cool thing. But to this day, I will lean on Mike Triano as a uh, mentor and a, a guy who I look up to forever. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. And I mean, it just what a great level of responsibility, you know, it has when there's something that you're part of that's much bigger than you, right? And you want to do nothing more than to not let it down. And you want to you know, show up at the highest level. And whether that's just at the organization level or even the owners of the organization level, like the Patriots, that's that's really cool. And I think a really powerful piece for all of us leaders to remember is what's the bigger picture here, right? It's not just about getting this one thing done, but how do you create that environment like you just described, Craig, where it's like, I will stop at nothing to make not make this person look bad. <laughs> not that we have to do everything for everybody else, but you know, it adds an awful lot of motivation, an awful lot of um, just drive to make sure that, you know, we want to support them by doing an incredible job and they trust us in return. And that's, that's a really good thing. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by 
the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So Craig, I know you went from VP uh, to then took a step back to senior director and now are back at the VP level. So would you talk us through what that transition was like? Because there can be a lot of stigma around going from a VP level to then taking a step back and then, you know, hopefully working your way back up. But what was the circumstances surrounding that transition from VP to go backwards to senior director? Yeah. It was a choice. I, I, you know, I, I was at a company, you know, like a very small firm, right? And I felt like I wasn't getting enough there, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I had the VP title, but it wasn't like fulfilling my career the way I thought that title would, or, you know, that sort of role would. You know, I had an opportunity to go to a bigger company that, you know, I had never experienced before. It was a, a company that was 10x in size than the one that I was at an order of magnitude revenue, you know, <laughs> much, much more, right? So a lot of resources, but a lot more different, you know, personalities and, you know, the departments were siloed and, you know, not like a startup, right? It was an opportunity to sort of come in and like bring customer success to that company who they hadn't necessarily done. They paid it lift service, but they wanted someone to come in and do it. So it was great. And I thought it was a wonderful opportunity and it just didn't work. <laughs> so the management at that company and I just didn't get along. My ideas were not the ideas that they had and it lasted a very short time. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those things where you recognize it and you you pull the ripcord on it because it's not going to work. It's not safe, right? And so I struggled. I, I didn't have a job for a few months after that. And I was like, okay, where am I? What am I doing in my career? How am I taking this? You know, I just gave up that VP job and now here I am with nothing, right? Yeah, right. So, you know, I looked around and I ended up taking a director level job as sort of a like a BDR manager, which is a new challenge, right? I'd never done that before, right? So I was building a BDR team, figuring out the personalities of a BDR and what it takes to motivate those people, which is completely different than motivating a customer success manager, right? And that was really interesting. And I learned a ton about sales and about hiring kids out of college and, you know, the <laughs> personality types and what that, what makes those people tick. But I, I didn't, I didn't really want to be a BDR manager. <laughs> like I, I realized during that time, and that was 2018 timeframe that I needed to get back to customer success. And I wanted to get back to the VP role in a customer success organization at a company that is growing, small, but growing, right? Sort of kind of where we left off, you know, and like, I wanted to get back to that spot. I ended up at a, at a place called Zebia Labs, which is one of those five companies that got merged into that really big company, right? So it was working fine at Zebia. I loved it there. It was the exact spot that I wanted to be in and director level job with a path. And so it was really great. And then everything changed when that, you know, when the private equity firm came in and said, we're taking these five companies and we're making one big one here, right? And, you know, then everything Figure was out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> Then it got to the place where it was another huge company where politics and silos and getting things done. And I'm not used to that. I'm the kind of guy that says a startup, you give me a task, I'm going to go get it done. And, you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And 
doing that at a company of the size of where I was at, it was like up and over and around and down and through and up and through. And, you know, it was very difficult to get things done there. So, and this is me personally, right? So some people love that environment, right? I'm just not that guy, right? So I spent a couple of years there and then it was just, I went, I found like Medaxo is that company, right? They're the place that I'm, you know, at least in 2022, for those listening in, you know, three or four years from now, in 2022, Medaxa was that place for me. It's the right size, it's the right revenue, and it's software, and it's exactly personally for me what I like. And I fit great. And so now it's been like, you know, I, I made it very clear that hey, you're going to hire me as a senior director. That's great. But I want to be the VP in a year. And eight months later, here we are. And the, the promotion happened yesterday. So we're good. Four months ahead of schedule. And it, yeah, it happened yesterday, right before the day of this recording, which is awesome. So a huge congratulations to you. And I know that's no easy you know, path going from you know being VP and then joining a company, being a little bit shut down and having the you know, not, not being the environment that you expected and then, you know, taking a, taking a break forcefully, right. And then going to a whole different industry, the BDR side, and then working your way back up to VP and then this merger and then taking a step back. And then now you're back at VP. I mean, if you look at this, just the grand scheme, it's fascinating. As you look back at that path, right. From a leadership perspective, what do you see as the through line that was consistent across all those experiences that you went through that got you back to this VP place that you're at at Medaxo? Get back up. You know, it's like stuff's going to happen. Bad stuff's going to happen. Stuff that's out of your control, stuff that you don't anticipate. You have the choice. I tell my kids this all the time. You make choices in your life, right? So I made a choice to walk away from that in 2017 or whenever it was. And then the world happened, right? Like all kinds of different factors occurred. And a lot of it was just, you know, unexpected setbacks that you got to deal with and you got to push through. It was hard. You know, that can't, I won't lie. You know, there were times where I didn't want to get out of bed because it was like, this isn't fun. But you push through and you push through. Like, you know, I tell my team, there's a bad renewal coming. These guys are paying the butt. They're going to be a real difficult you know, procurement process or whatever it is. So there's a there's a bug that our product team can't fix. And so they're going to quit on us because they don't want they want that bug to be fixed, whatever it is. OK, well, how are we going to get through it? What's the plan? What's the path around this problem? What's the path through the problem? Whatever it might be, you got to get back up. So, I mean, that to me, that's like you said, the through line is. Keep pushing, keep pushing, keep chopping wood, as they say, right? <laughs> keep chopping wood, get back up. I love it. So maybe tell us a little bit more about that in-between time, right? When it was really when it was really tough, when you may have not wanted to get out of bed, right? And the choice that you made to do it. Like if you were, you know, sitting down with somebody who might be in between positions right now, or maybe, you know, has certainly gone through it in the past, I'm sure, and probably will go through it again. What advice would you have for them, you know? under the umbrella of get back up, but that might be a little bit more um, something that they could grab onto and, and just to help them navigate and based on your experience of successfully getting through these patches where some things lined up perfectly and some things didn't. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, the most important thing to me is, you know, set that goal, right. And, and do what you have to do to get there, right. Understand, you know, okay, I want to be the VP in, in however long, you know, and, and okay, what are the skill gaps that I have that are going to prevent me from getting to that spot, right? Go look at LinkedIn with other for other people that have 
those same job titles? Like, what do they have in their LinkedIn profiles that you don't in yours, right? Who are the network connections that they might have that you don't, right? Try and work on that. Try and work on those skills wherever you have to go. There's there's plenty of online resources that you can use. There might be something at your current company that, you know, they might be willing to allow you to get access to, whatever it might be, some kind of educational resource. But whatever it takes to try and fill those gaps and, you know, polish up your resume to a place where it is where you want to get to, right? And that personally was a big challenge for me. I spent a lot of time just on the words that my LinkedIn profile says and what what's on my resume. Like, okay, there's this job, this chunk of things that I did at a job 10 years ago. All right, well, how's that going to fly with a, with a, <laughs> with a, a robot that's reading a resume that's going to kick you out because it doesn't find the seven keywords that it needs? Right. <laughs> you know, like, like you got to be meticulous and you got to take the time. And if, if it suits you or you have the mon- the funds, spend some money on it, right? Because there's there's firms out there that can do that. To me, it's it's be meticulous, right? It, you set the goal and then find out what you need to do to achieve that goal. And then whatever's in between, there might be, you know, it's like anything else. You break that thing down into little small chunks and then it becomes a little more attainable. When I look at my journey, it was... You know, there was, was a couple setbacks, just interpersonal things that, you know, just didn't get along with the boss or whatever it might be. Figure out what's wrong with you, you know, because maybe there's something in the mirror that you can try and fix. Maybe it's not the boss who's the pain in the ass, right? So you didn't get it along with the boss. That maybe there's a there's two sides to that story. <laughs> exactly, right, right, right. And so you can't control that other person, right? But you can control what you're doing. So, and I sound like a, <laughs> sound like a football player, but like, that's a really important thing. You know, like, I just, I think that that's, you make good choices in your life and you control what you control, then you're on a good path. Yep. hundred percent. Love it. Uh, fantastic advice. And the reason I ask about the different world when you're in between a roles or you're trying to find the next step, or you're not hundred percent sure what the next thing is. I love how you broke it down simply just set a goal. It doesn't have to be anything complex. It doesn't have to be, I need to land a VP job. It just needs to be something that you can break down and then systematically move towards. And the fascinating thing is that we do this all the time in our professional lives inside of companies. And then when, you know, we go through, I've been through, you know, droughts in my career various times when I left companies and didn't have another job lined up. And it is like the whole world changes. And it's the reality is it shouldn't change that much. Your focus changes. But I love how you brought it back to just the simple things that just set a goal and then break it down and march towards it. Because then you can really be in any environment and be yeah. successful as long as you're doing exactly. that. Yeah. Football, business, Football, whatever it is. Football, business, right? <laughs> Mergers and acquisitions. Oh boy, yes. <laughs> we got a lot of things to break down in those things. but <laughs> A lot of goals and a lot of things to break down. Absolutely, 100%. All right. So one last topic I wanted to circle back to that you mentioned in the beginning, you guys are going through a replatform. And when you go through a replatform, having been part of varying iterations of these over the years, I know there's an awful lot of, you know, things that have to change, both on the customer side, as well as on the team side, as well as on the company side. And we'd love to hear your perspective as you think about this current replatform that is on the immediate horizon for you and your team and the Medaxo company as a whole. And from a leadership perspective, what do you really have to keep front of mind going through this big shift on something that's been around for a decade? There's a lot there. So let me unpack. So there's 
the customer base, that's my main focus is our customers, right? And they've been on this platform, like you said, for a decade. And some of them helped build it. They know what they know. They like what they like. And they are entrenched in their day-to-day. And now we're going to come at them with this brand new thing, which, yeah, it's going to do the same stuff. But, you know, the buttons are going to be in different places. And it's going to be faster. And it's going to do more stuff. But we got to take the time, pump the brakes, and help you learn how to do that. And no one wants to hear that, right? People hate change, right? So change management is a massive, massive thing that is the top of mind thing for me right now. And there's a lot of stuff there that that goes into that change management that I don't have control over, right? I've got my team of eight CSMs who are out there all day long on the phone talking to customers and prepping them for this big change that's going to come later this year. But then I got some guys internally who are working on making it real easy to press a button and go zip, 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 right? Like, okay, Mr. Customer, you're scheduled to go on next Thursday, so you're going to shut down your platform Wednesday night, wake up Thursday morning, and be good to go, right? But that's a challenge because there's a million working pieces under the covers there that have to happen, and they have to happen right. And the team that's in charge of doing that is not as business focused, right? They're they're like coders that want to make their code perfect. And I totally understand that because I was one. You literally were there. Yeah. But I also <laughs> have a goal to hit because we've got customers that need to be moved. And so the challenge internally with those guys is to make sure that they understand that we're on a schedule here, guys, and we can't wait. You know, that's another challenge. And then there's the marketing piece, which, you know, we're we're rebranding everything and it's brand new. So I'm working with those folks to make sure that the messaging that goes to our customer base is right. So there's all kinds of different moving parts. So how do you keep all these together? Because that's a lot of different areas, a lot of different disciplines, a lot of different people, a lot of different groups, a lot of different responsibilities. How do you as VP keep all that stuff in context so that you're talking the right in the right way to the right group at the right time. What do you think about? Well, I mean, notebooks. <laughs> There's a <laughs> lot of information that I write down right here all day long and my calendar, right? Like it's all about like, I know that I've got a weekly meeting with that migration group that, you know, stuff changes on my team. I, I have my one-on-one meetings with those eight CSMs. So there's most of my week, right? Plus meetings with those other departments that happen. And a lot of stuff bubbles up in those one-on-one meetings that then I write down in my notebook or put down in a, in a space like Jira or somewhere. And it's not just me. It's the team, the team that we're, we're tracking all this stuff that needs to get tracked, right, for migrations to occur correctly. And so we're keeping a nice long list. And then every week we go and meet the migration team and we groom that list like, okay, here's the things that need to get done. So it's really tight. And if you don't keep your head around it, you don't manage it and pay attention to it every single day, it's really easy to get far, far behind. Yeah. Because then you're like, wait a minute, you know, you take a day off work and it's like your email goes like this, right? It's the same thing. with this stuff, right? Chaos. <laughs> you got to put somebody in charge of, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be at that meeting. So I need you to take good notes. And then I need you to write those notes in place where we can all track them. Right. Yeah, I don't know if that's a little too tactical there, but for me, that's, you know, it, it's interactions with all kinds of, and for me, customer success sits at the middle of any company, right? We work with sales, we work with finance, we work with product, we work with the leadership team, we work with everybody. So it is not easy to manage all of it. And, you know, I've got people too. Here's another thing just popping in my brain, like good, strong CSMs that are good at their time management and are good at keeping their good notes and are good at 
bubbling stuff up when it needs to. And if you don't hire those right people, then you're behind the eight ball too. So there's another, there's another tidbit. Don't mess up the hiring part. <laughs> don't mess up the hiring part. <laughs> we could spend hours talking about that, but we won't go down that path today. Maybe a future time. All right, Craig. So last question here. If you could go travel back in time, but know everything that you know today, of all, all the experiences you've had, the ups, the downs, the sideways, the good, the bad, the ugly, and you could sit down with your younger self at that time when you were hiring your first team member at the company where you became VP, what advice would you share with your younger self? I've been thinking about this question a lot because I've watched some of the other episodes. And I think my biggest thing would be patience is a virtue. It's going to come. It might not come how you expect it to, but it will be there and just keep, you know, like I said, get back up and it'll happen because you know that you're doing the right things, right? I mean, you're going to make some mistakes. There's going to be some, like you said, some, some twists and turns that you don't expect, but if you stay patient and you don't get ahead of yourself and, and start doing things that aren't in line with the goals that you set, then I think you're in great shape. So that would be my thing. Patience is a virtue. Love it. Wonderful advice. Well, Craig, thank you so much for sharing some time with me today and this audience, sharing your experience and going from, you know, software engineer to VP to senior director to VP and all around. It's just fascinating to know how you got to where you are today. So thank you so much for sharing your hard-earned wisdom and experience and advice with me and this audience. I uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Nils. Who knows what's going to happen in the future, but... That's it, but we'll get back up. We'll get back <laughs> yeah. up, right? No matter what it is, we'll get back up. All right, awesome, Craig. Well, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Nils. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.